You know, we are uh, finishing a series on extraordinary Jesus with ordinary people. Would you say extraordinary? extraordinary? That's good. I think he deserves a standing ovation. So can we just do that for Jesus? All right. Thank you, Lord. You are extraordinary. You are incredible. And our message this weekend states that Jesus calls you to more than you are. Say yes. Say yes. All right? Because he does. And we're going to talk about maximizing our potential in future weeks. But uh, he calls you. He doesn't just want to save you from your sins. He wants to draw you out of that. But then he wants to begin a shaping work in you. And who you are after you've followed him is way different and more than when you started. And so you can follow along in the CLC app. Uh, the first thought goes with that song, all my hope is in Jesus. Would you say that? All my hope is in Jesus. And uh, this weekend, I thought I want to kind of add a little bit of just personal amen to that, sort of personal testimonial of how I've experienced Christ in my own life. And in Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul says something, and if you're here today and you've accepted Christ as your Savior, then this is just an amen in your own soul. If you haven't accepted him, this is what you need to do. And our prayer is that before you leave this service today, you will choose Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus says, Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, read this out loud with me, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Say it again. Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. And uh, Jesus brings us an unshakable hope. And last weekend we talked about that. I'm not going to re-preach that message, but uh, we exult in tribulation. And I have found that my hope in Christ is unshakable, but I've gone through plenty of tribulation in the process. Many of you have too. And as you go through that tribulation, it brings about perseverance. You learn how to persevere. It doesn't come natural. And you don't learn how to persevere when everything's going right. When everything's going right, that's called a really great day. Perseverance is in the face of disappointment. Perseverance is needed for heartache or pain or hurt or discouragement or failure. That's when perseverance comes in. So we exalt in tribulation. It brings about perseverance. And that brings about proven character. And from that, there is a hope that is unshakable. My mom used to sing a song, uh, there's no disappointment in Jesus. He's all that he promised to be. Some of you know that song. And it's important to know who Jesus promised to be, what Jesus promised to do, and also to differentiate that from what he did not promise to do. Jesus did not promise to fix everything. Jesus did not promise that you would always be right. He did not promise you that you would never fail. He did not promise you that you would never hurt. He did not promise you that everyone would treat you right. He didn't even promise you that everybody would treat you right at church. And for some reason, I feel led to take a little detour here to a topic that has gotten its own name in recent years called church hurt. Some of you have been hurt by other Christians or Christian leaders or pastors. And... Uh, 
just smile and turn to your neighbor and say, now you know how Jesus felt. I mean, you look at some of the deepest hurts he experienced there from other believers, followers. And what amazes me is how good Satan is at getting us to quit. Quit Jesus based on somebody else. My goodness, I'm not going to do that. And by the way, if you, yeah, but you don't know how I've been hurt. See me afterwards and I will go blow by blow with you on church hurt. I guarantee you, I will see your church hurt and raise you a bunch. Because in 44 years of full-time ministry, I have been hurt, treated poorly, talked about, betrayed, all kinds, by, by Christians and pastors and other Christian leaders. I mean, I got to, if anybody should walk away from Jesus because I've been hurt by Christians, I could justify that. But why in the world would I walk away from Jesus because of other imperfect followers like me? Unless, of course, you're one of the perfect ones. <laughs> How many of you ever hurt somebody or said something wrong or did something to somebody else, all right? So let's not, let's disassociate how I'm gonna follow Jesus from how Jesus' followers treat me. I love when they treat me good, and most do, and most will treat you good. But certainly take that church hurt category and just leave it aside because all my hope is in Jesus. And the next thought, Jesus helps me grow. And change. Can I hear an amen? amen. Uh, Acts chapter 2 is an incredible verse. It's in the context of a larger life of one of Jesus' closest friends. His name is Peter. And we talked about Peter and this thought about how he helps us grow and change. And Peter's original name was a reed, like a cattail reed. And Jesus said, I'm going to change your name into, into Cephas, a rock, from a reed to a rock. And in Acts chapter 2, we see the transformation happens. It is uh, after, at the day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit's poured out on the believers. They spoke in other tongues. And that is what Joel prophesied of in the last days, the Holy Spirit being poured out. And, and people are trying to figure out, what are these people drunk? What are they crazy? What? And in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, but Peter, taking his stand, say taking his stand. With the 11, he raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. And he preaches a sermon on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people come to Christ. And I wrote in my notes there, the reed became the rock transformation happened. This is the same Peter that just days before at the Last Supper in Matthew 26, Jesus said that uh, you're all going to fall away from me before, before tomorrow. And in verse 33, Peter said to him, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And then Jesus said, you're all going to deny me. He's at the Last Supper. And in verse 35, Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing too. And then what did Peter do hours later? He denied three times. I don't even know the guy. Adds profanity to make it convincing. Leave me alone. I'm a, he's a stranger to me. This, blown by the wind, this failed to find a backbone, Peter. This reed becomes a rock. Why? Because Jesus helps me grow and change. This past Tuesday, our staff went to Victory Project. We spent the morning doing cleanup jobs and whatever they asked us to do. And 
Ryan Munger, who leads our, our kids and youth ministry, our next-gen ministry, he and I got assigned to cleaning up the, uh, the lawn equipment storage area. So we moved all the equipment out, and then we swept it, and then we mopped it, and we put it all back. And we had a chance just to talk more, a little, little, little deeper dive into his life and our life, my life. And he, he just amazes me what God has done in his life, how Jesus helps me grow and change. Talk about a leader. He had a challenging life growing up and uh, accepted Christ in high school, I believe his senior year. Felt God called him into ministry and uh, applied to Anderson University, but because his grades were so bad, they rejected him. And, uh, and Ryan said, I contacted Anderson University. I said, wait a minute, you're looking at my grades BC, before Christ. I'm a new man, I'm a new student. Look at my grades after I accepted Jesus. They, they went up. Can you imagine a high school senior having that kind of moxie going to the university that rejected you and said, no, I belong here. So they changed their mind and they allowed him in. And wow, am I glad they did because he's an incredible leader today. Talk about Jesus helps me grow and change. And he's way, he's way ahead of me in, in the curve that I was on. I grew up in a supportive family and we moved to a new community in sixth grade. And in my new sixth grade class, there were three sixth grade classes and they elected a president and vice president over, over the whole grade. And uh, several of my new classmates came to me and said, we want you to run for president. I was so shy, that thought was just alien to me. I thought, no, there's no way I could do that. No way I could do that. And they were kind of aggravated that I didn't, but I, I was just too insecure to do that. High school. Our youth group, that was back when we had officers. And so our pastor said, well, our youth uh, council, whatever got together, we would nominate you to run for vice president or secretary or treasurer. And I was like, again, deer in the headlights, shocked. I was so insecure. And I, I said, well, I guess I'll run for treasurer, knowing that I wouldn't because the guy that I was up against was a real popular guy. And when you know, I became the treasurer of the youth group. And God kept kind of pushing me in the back door. And then in college, I ended up leading a couple of the, uh, led, I led a, a student uh, organization, one of the largest ones on campus. And uh, I got in that by accident because my roommate the previous year said, we got to stop goofing. I got to build a resume for college. Let's, we got to get into an organization. So we did. He got elected president. I got elected vice president. And then the next year, he didn't come back to school. So I became the president. <clears throat> Sometimes God has a sense of humor. Uh, and then a year later, I had never done a thing with student ministries, largest group on campus. And they, a friend of mine said, would you interview? I never did. Just interview anyway. So I ended up being the head of the student ministries. And, and God is just through my, my life has just kind of shoved me into things I didn't think I was capable of and, and showed me that, well, if you trust me, I'll help you grow and I'll help you change. And so trust me, if he can do it with me, turn your neighbor and say, he can do it with you too. Go on. And from my experience in my walk with Christ, he kind of likes it when you feel outnumbered, outsized. Because if you can do it all, you can do it all. But he likes it when there's a sense of desperation and a sense of dependence. And when you get to that point, that's when we're motivated to grow and change. And then Jesus gives me strength for the fight. Say strength for the fight. And some of you are in it right now. And some of you feel like you are out for the count. And I'm here to tell you, he will give you strength for the fight. 
I don't care if it's a medical fight. I don't care if it's a career fight, relationship fight. I don't care if it's a fight inside yourself, your own emotional, mental well-being. I don't, I don't know what it is. He will give you strength for the fight. And he allows you to have to fight. If I were Jesus, one of my favorites on the planet Earth would have been the Apostle Paul. In fact, Paul, for the first part of his career, was known for killing, imprisoning, and persecuting and torturing Christians. Jesus said, I'm going to meet that guy. Has an encounter with him, uh, a blinding encounter, literally, and Paul has a vision of Christ, and he goes from a persecutor of Christians to an apostle of Christ and founder of the New Testament church and the author of half the New Testament. That guy... I don't know about you, but if I was going to play favorites, I'd play favorites with Paul. And yet he allowed Paul to go through suffering and hardship, and it appears it was a physical ailment of some sort. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, he calls it a thorn in the flesh. And he says, concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it, that it might leave me. And he said to me, I'll take care of it in a minute. It'll be gone soon. No. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in your weakness. Paul had a wake-up call. Whoa, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so the power of Christ may dwell in me. Jesus said to Paul when he asked over and over and over, uh, Paul, not this time. I hate not this time, don't you? I want it first time every time. But as the longer I live, I've seen quite a few not this times, Stan. Because I realized that I learned some of the greatest lessons in my life and my walk with Christ, and I see how extraordinary Jesus is in the context of my weakness when I do not feel capable or worthy. And I had a, a surprising experience this past week. I didn't expect the emotional side to it, but I did just a little, um, counselor kind of got on me to get a little alone time, so I, I packed up my fun stuff and I went to Houston Woods and I uh, did an overnight 30-hour fun time for me. And the uh, first picture shows you that uh, this was my campsite. And I think campsite, tent, there we go. So that was home for 30 hours there, that tent. And I took my bike, took my kayak, I loaded up my truck. And I was going to have a great time, which I did. And caught some fish as well. That's always fun. And uh, in the morning, I didn't want to have a bunch of stuff. And so, you know, baking eggs on the fire sounds good, but it's a hassle. So Joyce made me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and some watermelon for breakfast. And uh, but I thought, you know, this would be good with a cup of coffee. I didn't bring anything to make coffee. So I went to the lodge and I got a cup of coffee. And the day before, I, I took a bike ride around, around the park about 12 miles and I, and I hiked and I hiked also by the lodge, and if I took a left down by the lake, down by the lake is significant for me. I thought, I'm not going to go down by the lake this time. So I just went in the woods. And so sure enough, the next day when I had coffee, where do I eat my peanut butter sandwich breakfast? I'm like, boy, down on those benches would be nice looking out over the lake. So I 
I went down and I sat down on a bench looking out over the lake at Houston Woods. And that bench reminds me that Jesus gives us strength for the fight. And so this next slide is a scene of the lake from the bench. And notice the dock. It took me back. You know how certain sights and sounds or smells can just take you back, right? All of a sudden, I was unintentionally back to May of 1990. See, in March of 1990, I'd been on staff for seven years, and God, I just felt released, and I resigned my position to the previous pastor. I said, if you'll get me through the summer, I'll find a new position. I'll make it a good transition. And so he agreed to that uh, reluctantly. And in May, I still don't know what I'm doing. And Joyce said, you know, summer's coming, and you quit your job. Why don't you go pray and figure out what God's telling you to do with our life? So I went to Houston Woods for a prayer retreat. And for three days I was there praying and journaling my prayers and hiking a lot and whatnot. And I was questioning everything about me and my life. You know, in college, do I go into business or ministry? And finally I felt like that was answered. But then I'm so bewildered, March of, or May of 1990, and I'm saying, like, God, did I miss it? Should I have left CLC or was I supposed to be a minister? Just all those questions that go soul deep. And I ended up on that dock pacing and praying. I do a lot of walking and praying. And I finally sat down kind of cross-legged Indian style. And on that dock in 1990, you know how when God speaks to you in those ways, you just know it's him saying something to you? It wasn't audible. And it was all that he spoke to me was just Wait. Is anybody else not good at just wait? <laughs> but it, I had such a peace come over me when that hit me, sitting on that dock in a moment of desperation in May of 1990, and I couldn't wait to get home. I called Joyce on a payphone. Google it if you're under 30. <laughs> <laughs> and I came home, and I sat her down at a little house in Heber Heights, and I'm going through this whole steno pad of all these possibilities and thoughts. And I get to the end of it all, and I say, at the end of it all, God said... Just wait. You know, Moses hears from God and gets 10 commandments. I got two words. But it was enough. Two weeks later, all hell broke loose. A Christian life the previous pastor resigned in a crisis on a Tuesday. And on Sunday, he was leaving. And I told the board, listen, you didn't know, but I already resigned. I'll stick around until you find the new guy. And then when you find the new guy, I'll help him get his feet on the ground. Then it'll be time for me to leave. That was in June. Who knew that at the end of August, I became the new guy. <laughs> And I'll pay you all later. Thank you. <laughs> and I can be a little nostalgic. And I, I shot a picture of the, the lake to Joyce. And I shot a picture of an album by Stephen Curtis Chapman that was popular then, and it was for the sake of the call. And that meant a lot to us. And there was another album that came out afterwards once I stepped into that role, and I realized, whoa, I am, I am way over my head. I am not ready for this. I'm not up to this. I'm not the guy. And when you talk about Jesus gives us strength for the fight, there's a song that on a CD, I would hit repeat, repeat, repeat. And the lyrics say, 
I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But sometimes I wonder what he can do through me. No great success to show. No glory of my own. And in my weakness, he's there to let me know his strength is perfect. We can only know the power that he holds when we truly see how deep our weakness goes. His strength in us begins when ours comes to an end. He hears our humble cry and proves again his strength is perfect when our strength is gone. He'll carry us when we can't carry on. Raised in his power, the weak become strong. His strength is perfect. His strength is perfect. And I have said before that one of the most reassuring prayers I have prayed in the last 33 years as you've given me and and Joyce the honor of being in this role is, God, I confess my incompetence to do what you have called me to do. I used to say, and if you don't help me, we're in trouble. And the Holy Spirit corrected me, "Uh, we're not in trouble. (laughs) You're in trouble. (laughs) And so I've changed it. If you don't help me, I'm in trouble. I can tell you how many times I've prayed, God, don't penalize these people because of my weakness. Show me your strength. And I don't know who's here today, and you are feeling worn out and spent. Been there, done that. Most of us have. And it's okay to confess that, you know, your strength is perfect, my strength is not, and to lean into that. Because extraordinary Jesus, you can count on him. And then... And then the next thought is that he gives me joy and life worth living. And in Luke chapter 24, verse 50, this is at the ascension when Christ has risen from the dead and he's seeing his disciples for the last time before he ascends into heaven. And he led them out as far as Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And, and uh, Luke gives more detail on that. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Say great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising God. Disciples of Jesus are known for great joy. Say it again. Okay, we're getting there. Put a smile on your face. Look at your neighbor and smile. Could you smile better with somebody else? Okay. And say great joy. Great joy. All right. I'm not talking regular joy. I'm talking great joy. Amen. All right. And joy does not depend on circumstance. We learned that, right? Right? Because look at Acts 13. Talk about disciples, people of great joy, not dependent on circumstance. And I thought I'll go ahead and leave this verse in because these days are going to be ours again as they were in the New Testament. He says, when the Gentiles, that's non-Jews, heard this, what? That the gospel wasn't just for Jews. Jesus was a Jew, but it's for all people. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as have been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But, say but. But. The Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest. All right, fine, take it. Against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with what? Joy and with the Holy Spirit. Even in persecution, we can be filled with joy. Even in hardship, we can have 
When things don't go my way, I can have When people are against me, I can feel So I want you to stand up. All right? We're going to assume we're all followers of Christ. If not, just go along with the crowd. And I want you to high five five people and tell them Jesus gives us joy. Go. Yeah, it gets better. Are you ready? Say extraordinary Jesus. We're not done yet, all right? Jesus forgives and sets us free. When we prove we're sorry enough, no. A few times, no. His grace is amazing, it's endless. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, and that's important. God, I'm sorry I've sinned. Tell them what it is. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I, I spoke to those of you who aren't Christians yet. Once you accept Christ, you stop sinning. <laughs> no. Satan keeps at us, keeps tempting, and Jesus keeps forgiving. Hebrews 12.1 gives us great instruction, a warning. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, he just spent time talking about all the heroes in heaven that are before us. Let us also lay aside, say lay aside. Every encumbrance, everything that can trip you up, and the sin that so easily entangles us. How many of you find it easy to sin? Can I see our hand? Don't have to practice. It just comes natural. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And what's so extraordinary about Jesus, he forgives and he forgets. In Isaiah, God says, I will choose to remember your sin no longer. Wow. I can forgive, but I, have, I happen to still remember. I can be forgiven myself, but I still remember how I messed up. I, I can forgive you. I remember how you messed up. He forgives and he forgets. And how many of you have ever sinned and, and then you hear this little accusing voice in your head, something like, it's either one of these, and you call yourself a Christian, or I thought you were sorry for that and asked for forgiveness already. God's got to be tired of hearing you. How many of you heard some version of that between your ears when you've sinned? Yeah. And uh, I love music. I think it's kind of fuel for the soul. And Greg Ferguson is one of my favorite artists. And he has a song that I really connect with when it comes to our own failures and shortcomings. And he said, I stand, I fall. You take my hand. You give me grace to stand again. You teach, you test me. We try again until I understand. I try and I fail miserably. You pick me up so patiently. You walk me back where we began and we begin again. The lessons are remedial, your patience unbelievable. Stumbling into holiness, I love that phrase, is the only way I learn, I guess. I stand, I fall. You take my hand. You give me grace to stand again. You teach, you test me, we try again, and we begin again. 
And to those of you who are stumbling badly, those of you who feel like all you can do is trip and mess up, you just let him take your hand. He'll help you up. We'll try again. We'll take a couple more steps and then you may fall and then he'll help you up and we'll try again. A couple more steps, you'll fall, he'll try again. And, and you will stumble into holiness to become all he has called you to be. And then finally, he won't quit on you. Don't quit on him. He is not a quitter. So you shouldn't be either. And Hebrews 13.5 puts it this way. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Not going to do it. I'm the same yesterday, today, forever. I was with you then. I'm with you now. I'll, I will be with you always. And I think back to the disciples. And, you know, if I console myself with the temptation I'm about to tell you, because my goodness, when Jesus was on planet Earth, Satan took his best shot at the, shot at the Son of God. So if he took his best shot at him, he's going to take his best shot at me and at you. Amen? I mean, I've, I've had, I prayer walked this property a lot. I remember one prayer walk in particular. I can tell you right where I was. I was coming up the drive. I'd been down. I was coming up. And right before you hit the Y, where the creek is, this little thought hit me. What if everything you believe and preach and lead is a lie? You ever had that thought? Well, I'm a fool. But it's like Pascal's wager. You know, if, if what I believe is untrue, I've still lived a good value-driven life. But if what I believe is true, I've got heaven. If you choose not to believe in Christ, you choose to deny him and live your own life, and, and if you are right, then good for you. Hope it turns out well. But if you choose to reject Christ and not follow him and you are wrong, yours is the most tragic end possible. And so Jesus will not quit on you. So I think of the disciples because uh, this was at a time, when, in fact, Pastor Josh talked about it a few weeks ago uh, when Jesus said, eat my, my flesh and drink my blood. And it was very confusing. And, and it says uh, that many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Jesus lost a bunch of crowd. And in John 6, verse 67, Jesus said to the 12, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Lord, where are we going to go? And it amazes me how Satan is great at timing. Just read Elijah. Elijah has one of the most incredible spiritual days of anyone on the planet. He calls fire down from heaven, slays hundreds of prophets, and then he prays the end of a drought, outruns the king and his chariot running down the hill because of the, the rain that's coming. And all Satan does is hit him with 
a threat from wicked Queen Jezebel, and he is suicidal and afraid for his life the next day. It's all about timing. He was exhausted. He needed to just take a break, and which he did, but he needed to kind of refuel himself. And Satan is so good at timing, you can be going great and just boom, something happens, and I just quit. I've seen it happen to people. I've seen people following after Christ long, and then something goes, well, you don't expect, whatever, and then the thought is, oh, I just quit, just give it up. And they do. How can you possibly give up on Jesus when he will never give up on you, ever? So when, you, when you're wondering where he is, lean into him. When you don't know if you can keep your grip, just hang on as tight as you can. And, and realize that when you can't hang on, he's hanging on to you. And some of you are going through dark nights of the soul. Been there, done that. He'll see you through. I remember years ago, our daughter was in the hospital and she was just, I don't know, might have been high school when we got back from Africa. She got deathly ill. And uh, a song, I just kept playing it over and over again. It was in my Walkman. I'll take you back. Google it again, all right? It was by a band called The Cry, and they happened to come through, and they played a concert in our gym after this all happened. And I went backstage and saw the guys go, man, you have no idea how much your song, He Won't Let You Go, held me together in a really dark time just over and over and over and over again. And, and the song, He Won't Let You Go, He will let you go the moment that you say, come and live in me. Just take me all the way. What he said is true. No, he will never leave you. He's forever by your side. It's true. He won't let you go, though the seasons change. He's never been so close. He's just a prayer away. When you hear the Father's call, he's calling to you. Just run into his arms. Don't hesitate and do it. He won't let you go. His love will never change. Let him hold you close, closer every day. He would have died for you had you been the only one, so don't you ever doubt it. It's true. And the chorus just says, he won't let you go. He's forever by your side. He wants you to know that Jesus has paid the price because he wants you to go forever in paradise. So give your heart to him. It's really all you have to do. And even when you die, he will still be by your side. He won't let you go. I'm going to ask you just to bow with me in prayer. And I want to appeal a prayer of life change and a prayer of encouragement. Because I know in a crowd this size that it might be a holiday weekend, but trouble doesn't take a holiday. And some of you are living in the depths of that. Some of you really, you look in the mirror, it's like, I need him to help me grow. I need to get beyond this. Or maybe you're being tested. You, you, you need an infilling of his hope. Or you need strength for the fight. Or forgiveness and grace. Or just an assurance he won't let you go. If that's you, I want to pray for you. But also some of you are here and you realize I haven't asked him to be my Lord and Savior in the first place. And so I feel this tug in my heart, in my spirit. That's the Holy Spirit saying, you need Jesus. That's an incredible gift in itself to have that sense, that notion. And so I want to pray for you as well. Either 
of you, if you're just really going through it, or you need to accept Christ as your Savior, I want to pray for you as our heads are bowed. We just raise your hand all across this place. Say, yeah, pray for me. I'm one of those. Yeah. Yeah, several hands. Lots of us. Yeah, in the balcony or stadium seats as well. Let me pray. Lord, you see our upraised hands. For those that are raising their hands saying, I want to say yes to Jesus. Let today be their day of decision to follow you. And Lord, I thank you that what they will discover, we have discovered, I have discovered, you're an extraordinary Jesus to ordinary people. And so, Lord, that they would know your forgiveness. And if you raised your hand to accept Christ, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Just ask them, tell them you're sorry for your sins. Thank you for dying on a cross for you and rising from the grave and just commit yourself to him. I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. I surrender to you today. If you raised your hand because of the hardship, the struggle, you need him today. In your walk with him, you're a believer, but you need his strength. You need his hope. You need his life change, his growth. Lord, I pray you encourage my discouraged brothers and sisters who raise their hand. You see what they're going through, Lord, and I pray that you will speak to their heart. I pray that they will know your touch, that they will have a sense of confidence, a sense of faith welling up within them that I can trust God and I might be incompetent and incapable to live the life he's called me to live, but I'm going to lean into the one who is sufficient. I'm going to lean into the one who has promised never to leave me or forsake me. I'm going to depend upon the one whose strength is perfect. And Lord, I pray that you will strengthen them starting this very moment with an assurance deep within. And so we celebrate you today, Lord. We're so thankful for the joy that you give us and that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, amen.